You're listening to Grace Geltman and Weld on the Hammer Factor. Take it away, boys. <laughs> Max is a good, a very good sense for that kind of thing. <laughs> he knows when to tap out. He does. Yeah, he's he picks up on social cues better than most. <laughs> All right. Well, we're back. Hammer Factor 59. Sorry for the long <laughs> delay. Um, that was. Uh... We're gonna tighten this up, right? I mean, seriously. No, we really are. We really are. Yeah. Like the next like we six already weeks. Have, we already have a show slated for next week. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We got a uh, – and we have a recording date scheduled. So yeah. that's always a big part. Um, but we have a ton of stuff to catch up on this show. We've got uh, the green race. We've got to recap the green race. We've had an election since we last recorded a show. Zinky's up to his old tricks. Lewis is negotiating a public lands bill. We have listener mail. Um, but before we get in, I want to introduce myself. My name is John Grace, producer here at the Hammer Factor, and I'm joined by my show host, Lewis Geltman, North Fork champion, former North Fork champion, and policy director for the Outdoor Alliance, as well, John Weld owner of Immersion Research and Whitewater Legend. All right, before we get into it, guys, I've got to announce we have a new Hammer Factor product. So, um, you guys ready for this? I've been waiting. I've been waiting to spring this on it. This is some kind of multi-level marketing thing that you're going to release. (laughs) Somehow only you're going to profit from. I guess. (laughs) Okay. All right. We're starting off from the Mary Kay, right? (laughs) Right. Like Lewis and Lewis and I are your first agents. (laughs) (laughs) So, I kind of thought. All right. What What is something that I want? You know, that the Hammer Factor can do, okay? And so I'm looking back at the end of this year. This is the least I've paddled. There's been a lot of discussion. People have called me about trips they're going to do this winter. Some people are going to South America. Some friends are going to New Zealand. And they've asked me all sorts of questions about rivers and places I've went. And I have vague memories of them, but I don't really have any really good memories. So I have decided... And I wish, and there were times when I really took good notes of places I went and whatnot, but I never actually compiled them. But, uh, so anyway, the Hammer Factor is producing a whitewater journal. What's a whitewater journal? I don't understand. So it's pretty cool. I'll have a picture of it up on thehammerfactor.com as soon as I get it done. But I designed this whole thing, so it's pretty cool. So, you know, people like do blogs and whatever, but really... Me personally, I want to know and remember the things that happened, the flows, where I was with, you know, the whole nine yards kind of for myself and to share personally. And digital is like, digital is great, but you end up losing it. You know, you think it's forever, but, you know, you don't have it. Like I have video footage that I wish I had from certain trips that I can't find at all anymore. So anyway, I built this journal. It's a hardback book. And inside of it, it's got detailed info like your flows and who you're with and conditions and takeaway notes. And it's kind of all segmented out for you. And then at the end of the book, there's a glossary put in there that you can kind of summarize important points about the year. Like things you've learned, gear that popped out to you, you know, whatever. And the idea is that over time you can stack up six, eight, ten of these things and you can just look back at your year 
and have your it, whitewater like journal. every like every page like on the on the left side there should be a quote from the hammer factor like an inspirational <laughs> quote <laughs> well this one well we can do that in future ones but this one literally has the the year on the binder so like it may be silly, but my vision, like if I had all of the stuff, like 1996, 1997, 1998, 1999, like wrote up there, somebody called me and were like, hey, you remember that time you went to such and such and blah, blah, blah. I could be like, oh, yeah, that was whatever. Hang on. Let me find this for you. I, I still have all my handwritten journals for my expeditions. Man. I actually really like this idea, but what I really want is that product pre-populated with all the things that I've done and forgotten. <laughs> That's why you got to start and like, now. All it's going to do is be a reminder that like my best days are behind me. And be like, ah, <laughs> oh, like this is pretty lame, but I remember vaguely like back in the late '90s doing something cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, once I get your guys' credit cards, I'll send you one. Right. <laughs> I was thinking another Hammer Factor product. You know, what we should do is an uh, is a spinoff show, uh, like like Better Call Saul, you know, something like that. Except it would just be paddle offset. <laughs> what about what, what about the uh, um, Stoutmeister dating show? Paddle, paddle offset is the Hydra of the of, of Hammer Factor. I mean, literally every single time we cut the head off one of these questions, like six more grow back. <laughs> Or it could be like it could just be like a full time ABRG show, like how like like a minor character takes on its own spin off series. Yeah, <laughs> I like the Stoutmeister dating series. I thought that no, was a good wait, idea. I want to have yeah. <laughs> one thing I want to pitch for sure is uh, you know Ian Van Stoutmeister here at IR is all alone in Confluence. He hardly gets. He's not really getting the shout outs he used to get on the show, <clears throat> and he. I don't think he has a girlfriend. And Dagger claimed him to be America's sweetheart at one point, which. <laughs> I think it's a strong argument to be made there, and I'd like to I'd like to put a request out for ladies out there who'd like to go on a dream date with Ian, and uh, we'll we'll you know take submissions, review them. Ian can take a look. We'll pick we'll pick one person to go on a lucky dream date with Ian Van Stoutmeister. What do you guys think? I like it. Stoutmeister lost me a hundred bucks at the Green Race. He's kind of on my shit list. Yeah. Well, did you you heard uh, you know Kenny's you know statistics on that? Yeah, I mean, he, he pretty much laid it out. That's the Stoutmeister was, I mean, in so much as the green race, he was over the hill. Well, I should, you know what? It's my fault for not listening. Uh, we'll get into green race here in a little bit. Before we get into that, let's throw it over to Lewis. Lewis, there's a lot going on here. What do you want to start with? You want to start with the drunk shaming incident, DC trip, election update? Where do you want? Oh, where? man. Where to start? Yeah, I, we got to do this more often. And I also feel like I've used up all my banter in our hour-long pre-show conversation calling emails. And you brought some heat, too, which I'd love to see come back for the show. Uh, hopefully that comes up to the surface because... Uh, it's, as, gems, al man. as always, the, the pre-show is, is the best part. Subscribe yeah. on Patreon. You can listen in. <laughs> um... Yeah, so election uh, turned out pretty good for the Democrats, and we're going to have Democrats controlling the House in January, which is going to be like a big change in the vibe for public lands protections. I think we're going to be able to be a little less worried about some of the worst public land sell-off ideas, which is pretty encouraging. Um you know, like appropriations, like money going to the land management agencies, those bills start in the House. So Democrats are going to be able to kind of 
make the first bid in terms of what what money looks like for the land management agencies. So that's pretty exciting. These, these things will just get shot down in the Senate, like right? Yeah, maybe, but I mean, yes, a lot of it will. But I think the vibe is going to be a lot different. I mean, we're going to go from Republicans entirely controlling the federal government to divided government. And, you know, I think there are a lot of people out there who are predicting that the result is just going to be gridlock. But I've talked to some like lobbyist types in DC who are more savvy about this stuff than I am, who are pretty convinced that at the same time that there's going to be a lot of kind of public dick kicking, there's going to be some, some deal making as well and some appetite to, to move some stuff legislatively. So hopefully things kind of, kind of shape up a little bit. I think, uh, you know, we've been kicking around what this means for Hammer Factor mascot, Ryan Zinke. (laughs) You you know, I mean, he's obviously somebody who has bigger political ambitions. I mean, I think that people talk a lot about the possibility of him running for governor in Montana. There was that item that Weld shared with me six or eight months back about somebody polling Iowa for Ryan Zinke's name recognition, like obviously in anticipation or somebody has it on their mind that at some point in time, Ryan Zinke might run for president, which is laughable, but whatever. He's got, he's got the jawline for so, it, right? What just happened? He's got the jawline to run for president. I mean, he's kind of had the profile, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, like I a know, rugged white guy look, like the Marlboro Man. I mean, if if Trump's done every anything, it's convinced everyone, no matter how absurd, that they could be the next president of the United States. But regardless, um, you know, one of the things is now the Democrats control the committees in the House, and so they can investigate all of these misdeeds by the Trump administration, and they can subpoena the administration officials and you know, really get to the bottom of all this stuff that's going on. And it's certainly been, you know, my thinking that Zinke, given his bigger political ambitions, just probably not want to stick around and get investigated by Raul Grijalva ad nauseum. But then we saw last week that um, <laughs> Grijalva published this opinion piece suggesting that Zinke should resign for all of his various scandals and Zinke's response was to call Raul Grijalva drunk, which was like front page of the Post and the Times, just like absurd Sir, breach of decorum. Like, but but I mean, Zinke's boss loves this kind of talk, right? I mean, if you want to, if, if Trump was thinking about shoving him out the door before that, that got him right back in. Yeah, I mean, I guess my I was expecting that Zinke was going to declare victory on whatever it is that he feels he's accomplished and gracefully bow out in the name, you know, in the name of sort of preserving his reputation for his broader ambitions but if he wants to like get into a mudslinging contest with Raul Grijalva maybe that means he wants to stick around and and do battle I mean I, I guess I wasn't so much that I thought Trump was going to push him out the door as I thought he was going to take the hint and move on rather than take that hit to his, <laughs> his political ambitions but I don't know I'm a big Raul Grijalva fan so I, I, I look forward to seeing him show Zinke what's up <laughs> but you know the, the other thing is there are all these we gotta get him a Zinke there. sup shirt <laughs> can you get me his address I wanna send him one that's yeah, gonna be the... <laughs> make that happen <laughs> sorry to uh, interrupt Lewis I just, had a, I just had a vision Lewis. of him anyway 
I've, I've worked with his staff a bunch and I've, I've met him like out on the street before. It's like, he's this just like old kind of overweight dude standing on the street corner outside one of the house office buildings, ripping cigarette butts. And like, I, I didn't even, it was before I knew what he looked like, but my boss recognized him on the street and, you know, we said hello and chatted with him for a minute. But like, you just would see this guy in the corner and you'd never guess that he was one of the biggest champions of public lands conservation in the country. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> Oh, he is so getting a shirt. He's awesome. <laughs> I'm a fan. So anyway, so in the meantime, Congress has a couple weeks left and we're, you know, there's a, bunch of really positive pieces of public lands legislation that have made it through committee or made enough progress in in this congress that we like really want to see this stuff make it across the finish line this year and the staff from the house natural resources committee and senate energy and and senate uh energy and natural resources committee are you know, working on assembling some sort of public lands package they could get potentially attached to the last spending bill that Congress needs to pass to keep the government open. And if things were like fast and furious in DC last week, um, tons of stuff going on. Uh, it sounds like Congress is going to pass a short term funding bill through December 21st, I believe this week, the government, it was like, they have to pass something by this coming Friday and they decided they would do a short term extension because of, um, President Bush's funeral. So that creates some more time to kind of pull together all these public lands bills, which gives me some more optimism that this might really happen. Um, there's a lot of kind of horse trading going on. It's hard to say, but there's a few things that are that are in the mix that would be really, really good. Um, Grace was in D.C. last week. Really want to get... Yeah, Grace, give us your trip report, man. Tell us about showing up and talking about landwork conservation fund which is one of the things that are that's in this mix well get real quick give me the list is the is the recreation not red tape in there recreation not red tape um house on the house side democrats democrats and republicans like it it made it out of house natural resources uh we've got some people kind of going to bat for r and r on that side we have kind of some more resistance on the senate side but we've been working with our outdoor industry partners, especially in Washington, to kind of help Maria Cantwell, who's the senator from Washington, the ranking member on ENR, understand how important this is for our community. And I think she's hearing that message. And Senator Wyden, whose bill it is, has been doing some outreach on it as well, which is awesome. So I, I wouldn't give it like a, you know, like if we're tea leaf reading, I'm not going to tell you, I think it's like a great chance we get it through but the dream is definitely not dead and we got a couple weeks to go as hard as we can on this and we'll share some opportunities for everybody to get involved i'm going to just like go on the assumption that every single person listening to the hammer factors on the outdoor alliance email list at this point you should be please um Um, so yeah, so LWCF is in in the mix i like the odds if anything happens i think LWCF is going to be in there R and R, um, the parks funding bill was kind of originally part of this conversation, but I don't think that's going to happen because I don't think Congress wants to do anything that has a big, uh, price tag attached to it. So I think now now the parks funding bill, that is for the backlog and maintenance that's on the books in the parks. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, what else is potentially in there? That Yellowstone Gateway Protection Act, which is a big uh, mineral withdrawal right outside Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. That's in the conversation, I think. Oregon Wildlands Act, which would protect a bunch of land around the Rogue, uh, designate the Malala River as a wild and scenic. Um, a bunch of other like smaller tributaries. That would be a, a really, really good win for Southern Oregon. Um, and this Emory County bill in Utah is just, I, I can't even begin to like go into the weeds on all the stuff that's going on there, but it's a, it's a good bill to protect a ton of wilderness and recreation areas with mineral withdrawals and 64 miles of new wild and scenic river on the green. That's something that's been a huge lift for a ton of different people. Uh, it has some really cool language to protect, um, fixed anchors on climbing areas and wilderness, which is a huge deal for our, yeah, for climbers access funds done a ton of work to make that possible. And that would be a big precedent setting kind of deal. And then there's a few things up in Washington that are in, in the conversation. Um, mineral, mineral withdrawal for the metal, I don't think is going to make it in, but it's in the conversation. Um, Mouse Sound Greenway National Heritage Area, which would protect a bunch of places around the Middle Fork Snoqualmie, uh, east of Seattle. That would be would be a nice win, something we've worked on for a really long time. And then Wild Olympics is like a big priority for American Whitewater. It would protect 469 miles of wild and scenic rivers on the Olympic Peninsula and I think 126,000 acres of wilderness. Talk about a place worth protecting. Yeah, um, there's some weird kind of issues around potential wilderness, which is something I don't really want to go into. But um, basically, I think the people who, you know, that bill supporters, especially Senator Murray up in Washington, if uh, if they can sort of get Republicans to acquiesce to that without making any really... Um, they want to... Pre- they want to make sure that the bill does what they intend for it to do. And if they can negotiate to a point that the Republicans are willing to accept that, great. And if not, I think they'll start over in the new Congress. But that would be a really, that would be an exciting one as well. So you think LWCF is at the top of this list, sort of? I think so. I think if anything happens, I like I like the odds for LWCF. What's the LWCF again? All right. You ready? Yeah. All right. Lay it on. So this is pretty much how it works out. I went in there. I attached a vehicle to the omnibus. We did some deal making. <laughs> we put a referendum that went straight into uh, appropriation, and pretty much everything's fixed, so we can move on. <laughs> no, you know, it really took someone yeah, like Grace to go up there and just just straighten this stuff out once and for all. Exactly. Right? So I mean, pretty much, it's all settled. You, dra- you, you drained the swamp. <laughs> Dude, I actually had a press conference on the swamp. There's actually a real place outside the Capitol Hill, outside of the Capitol building called the swamp. But anyway, no, for real. So I'm going to back way up and I'm going to get way less. I'm going to be more like sixth grade civics here. So essentially I go up there. Um, Lewis hooked me up with, I guess it was the Wilderness Society on behalf of the Land and Water Conservation Fund organization, which is a group of people who want to see this bill passed. So let's start. Land and Water Conservation Fund, we've talked about it a good bit, but essentially what it is, offshore oiling, oil and drilling, a small portion, a royalty of that 
resource that is owned by all Americans, by everybody, a small royalty of that is invested, as that resource goes away, is invested back into natural resources as far as acquiring public land, making access, parks, boat ramps, you name it. You can, every single county, this is some things I learned, every single county in the, in the entire U.S. has been affected by the Land and Water Conservation Fund doesn't matter what state it's absolutely has nothing to do with left or right or middle or anything like that it's the most basic you know we're selling our oil someone else makes him profit small royalty is invested back in the country seems like a no-brainer no tax no anything like that unfortunately that's not the case so i go up there I'm in this room and literally like that opening statement of people talking about vehicles and omnibuses and referendums <laughs> and this whole nine yards. I'm sitting at a table and like kind of all the lobbyists, um, one of the main guys who I was with who showed me around, who's, his name is Jay Lutze. He's an awesome dude. I could talk about him. He has a book that I'm going to buy that I got to check out, but I don't want to get off topic here. But anyway, so I show up in this room and that's kind of what's going on. There's just you know, all of this talk. And then they kind of dumb it down for all of us. And so this is called a fly-in. So they bring people from all of these different regions to talk with their representatives to have a, a like a more real-world voice. So Jay comes in there, and he's got everything dialed. Lewis goes in to talk about one of these things. It's very like he opens the show, you know, like just a lot of talking. And so <laughs> we're, we're, sp- we're supposed to go in and have like a little bit more, I guess, authentic view. And so... Let's see, some first things. So we're we're in a what's called a lame duck session of Congress. And so if you don't know, or a lame duck session of government. So what it means is there's people going out who didn't get reelected, and their kind of mentality is whatever, I'll do whatever, I'm not worried about re-ele- getting reelected. And then there's other people, it's kind of a weird time in the government, okay? And so we're sitting there talking about recreation and red tape and you know, land and water conservation fund, but there are like big things that need to happen. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Lewis, in the next little bit, like funding the government and the farm bill and like really big things have to happen in the next couple of weeks. Correct. That's right. Yeah. So, and, and so, and realistically, you know, for most of the stuff we want to happen, it's not going to happen on its own. It's not going to be like the schoolhouse rock version where like LWCF comes up on the floor and everybody votes for it. It's going to get attached to one of these big things that has to pass. Yeah. And that's the vehicle. Correct. Exactly. Okay. So yeah, I'm just, you know, just follow with me here. So, Got it, man. um, so anyway, that's all going on. So I've, you know, I'm getting immersed in this. And so I'm going to, you know, our representatives office offices, uh, pretty much, um, I think all of them were Republican, both Tennessee and North Carolina. And Jay goes in, and and to be honest, I was blown away by how accessible our representatives are. Um, Literally, you know, put on some nice clothes, you go in there, and there's these aides. They sit down, they're taking notes. I've had some follow-up with them since I've been there. They've actually responded back to me, like on personalized messages, so they, like, watch the videos, and I'm trying to invite them out to do some things. But anyway, Jay's talking about all this policy, how we can get it in. Is this going to be part of the farm bill? Is this going to be attached to something else? And what's our best avenue? Is it going to be fully funded? Here's another thing about the LWCF. So there's a referendum, so it's supposed to be, $900 $900 million that goes back into investment across the entire country. 
It's never, ever been $900 million. People have put their hand in the piggy bank, and I think the most it's been, correct me if I'm wrong here, Lewis, is like $500 million in the history of its... That's about right. So, yeah. like, the way it works is there's this account, and the royalty money comes into this account, and it's just, you know, a line on a piece of paper in the treasury or whatever. And then for that $900 million to get spent, congressional appropriators have to actually spend it. Yeah. And so when we talk about full funding for LWCF, the goal would be to make it so that the appropriators don't have to sign off on that $900 million getting spent every year anymore. It just, it becomes mandatory spending. Yeah. But to do that, there's a bunch of weird budgetary issues that come up, like because Congress doesn't pass things, they won't sign up for mandatory spending without cutting mandatory spending somewhere else because of these rules that the Republicans have created. Even though this has nothing to do with tax. So going, yeah. Anyway, um, so anyway, then and the uh, that's one mandatory funding, full funding, and then the other one is permanent, which means that every two years it's not going to get kicked down the road and whatnot. So, Jay, because this is this is a program that's existed for fifty years and it expired once twenty five years ago. Reauthorized, no big deal. Everybody's on board because it's this hugely popular supported program. Two years ago. A handful of Republicans decided they wanted to make a big deal out of this, even though, as John said, this is not controversial. This is like paying for baseball fields and river access points. And anyway, yeah. And so, so, yeah, exactly. And so there's, but like, we don't want to keep having this conversation every two years. We want this thing permanently reauthorized. Like, let's let's be done with this conversation. <laughs> right. And so everybody whose offices I went to, they were fully in agreement that fully funded and permanent and. But it was also noted that, well, we would like to do that, but we need such and such person to sign off on this. And they're saying, well, we could probably do fully funded, but, you know, we want to, you know, Paul Ryan's not going to sign off on anything that doesn't come back to the table in three years. And so you, so I kind of learned everybody's just kind of their inside baseball. And so basically Jay was going around and then he did his spiel and all of a sudden it's like, hey, here's John. <laughs> and so... You know, I would just kind of give some real-world examples about people, um, clients of mine that we've done video production for and various things, how it really affects them. And then I just kind of started talking about the green race and the hammer factor. Exactly. <laughs> exactly what I was going to say. Like, how long did it take to start the green race it, in the it, Calcutta? <laughs> it didn't take long. And I invited all of them down. I said I'd show them races and the whole nine yards. But... Anyway, I mean, they were literally like, you know, Jay was talking and whatnot. And then I start talking and they're like, what? What are you talking about? And, you know, (laughs) like, you know, I was like, dude, it's the greatest show in all of sports. You've seen the NFL. You know, you've seen all kinds of great things, the Olympics and whatever. Pale in comparison. They're like, what? Really? I'm like, yeah, I'll show you a video. And so, anyway, I basically just talked about the green race and wild and scenic on the Nola Chucky, which was really cool because, like, Senator Lamar Alexander's office um, and uh, Congressman Rowe from Tennessee, uh, Nola Chucky Wild and Scenic has been all over their radar um, over the past year. So that's probably something that's not going to happen right away, but it could happen in the future. Um I don't know. Long story short, it was a pretty cool experience, and I don't know. I ho- I don't know if I made any effect, but 
I did get to talk it's about sick, the man. I'm factor. sure you did. I think so. it's cool you're up there, and I, I hope that sort of building those relationships and just kind of getting a window into that world helps a ton with the wild and scenic Nolichucky stuff. Like, I don't know. I think it's a fun thing to do. Well, you've gone and done some lobbying yeah. before, eh? Yeah, uh, Adam Kramer drove Karen and I out for a round of that years ago. It was, it's, it's fascinating. It's fascinating for sure. I mean, it is. It's amazing to see how all this works. You know. Yeah. It's cool. And I, I shouldn't, uh, I feel like I did a bunch of dragging of Republicans on this, but I should point out that Richard Burr, the Republican senator from North Carolina, has been like the biggest champion for Land and Water Conservation Fund in Congress. Yeah, but it's also fair to say, uh, and, and I think uh, mo- like most of the Republicans are fully on board with this, but there are just this few group of holdouts that are just really, That's right. really making it a struggle. So. Anyway, I, I also came away fully with a new appreciation for like what you do, Lewis, and what out. I mean, uh, AW does and the Nature Conservancy because there are a lot of people trying to get in these in these people's ears, and you literally have to have somebody there talking, chatting, making sure you're always squeaking, for lack of a better term. And so, I mean, now I get. You know, where all that money I donate to Outdoor Alliance goes. <laughs> nice. Yeah, man. It was cool. It was a good week to be in D.C. It was like, I mean, for public land stuff, at least, it was a lot of stuff going on last week. And I felt like it was a real positive, high-energy trip. I'm, I'm pretty stoked about and, how and, it all went. And I got to see Lewis in his element, you guys. And it's pretty is cool. This, <laughs> is this an it Hooters? In, uh... <laughs> no, this was at the Mexican restaurant, drinking margaritas. <laughs> But but we're sitting there at the table. Here's one example of Lewis and his element. So we're sitting there at the table, and Lewis, I was trying to listen. I was across the table, brings up some bill and whatever, and Lewis is like, oh, it's, it's just incredibly complicated. I don't even understand it. You know, it's impossible to even cover. And somebody on the other side of the table is like, well, what about this? Had one conversation. And for the next 20 minutes, Lewis explained every single detail to this thing that supposedly he didn't understand. And Kramer and I are sitting across the table and Kramer's like, man, I'm glad I got that guy on my team. So <laughs> we just started talking about kayaking. But it was good. Well, it was good. Thanks, man. No, it was... Yeah, it was fun. Okay, this now. It's a good time. It's good energy. Thanks for going, Grace. So... No, thanks for having me. It was super fun, and I mean, I hope I added some value to the whole thing. I definitely entertained. All the emails that I sent out were certainly entertaining. So whether it helps with the cause, they're not going to forget the trip. So, um, well, you got a big announcement? Oh, hang on, Lewis. Go for it. What was you going to say? I'm sorry to cut you no, off. I was just going to add just like a couple examples. Like after talking about LWCF for like 20 minutes, like one example that I hope a lot of people would know about is um, – the access point at BZ on the white salmon. Like it's just like a parking lot and a path down to the trail or like a trail down to the river. It's the takeout for the truss, the put in for the middle. It's like not some huge land acquisition, but like it's important because like that's where you park and walk down to the river, you know? And like, that's the kind of thing that LWCF is paying for. Like, I think a bunch of the, the, uh, um, it, it, purchased a bunch of parcels and protected a bunch of places like along the Gauley and new um i'm trying to think of some other good whitewater examples but it's it does a lot of good work that you wouldn't necessarily know about like there's no big sign that says lwcf acquisition or anything like that but 
Yeah, like like Grace, weren't you, t- you had some conversations with some of the land trust guys down in North Carolina about maybe this becomes the long term solution for green access, for yeah, example. Yeah, like that's exactly. the kind of thing this money is there to pay for. Yeah, I brought that up several at several places, not only for uh, boating access but uh, trail access as well. There's a whole, there's several different parts of, and this is another thing. There's so much public land out there you can't access to the tune of millions of acres. I mean, all the stats and everything. I was blown away. Um. No, it was really that's sad. what it's about. It's like that's the talking point for me is like this is what makes public lands public. It's like if you can't get there, then, you know, you're kind of kind of missing out on some of the benefits it's supposed to be providing. Well, we're almost out of time. Screw <laughs> <laughs> the all politics episode. <laughs> who so, is the emailer who compared us to the McLaughlin group? <laughs> that's, that's a stretch. Uh... <laughs> So, John, you were discussing in the uh, in the fiery pre-show that we had here. You had a big announcement. Yeah, big announcement. So, uh, you know, I don't. People may not realize this, but maybe they do. But we get. I mean, is does a single week go by where we do not get people asking us about paddle length and paddle offset? No, no, right? No, it, I, I mean, I, even today, it's almost at a whole daily part of, of people. Written us about this 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 subject, and yeah. I think this is something we want to clarify in more detail. Finally, next episode, you're talking about bringing someone in. Yep, next episode. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to add to. I think we, and, and to be honest, I think we've kind of we're helping many paddlers across the world with their with their paddling technique by by steering them in the right direction. And I'm going to add to add to this by saying that uh, bench shaft paddles they're dead. No more. Your dad bench shaft paddles could be taken off the list. But you, you're, you're but a, you were a holdout on that. Yeah. Well, I'm not. Well, I, I do, and, and that's that's that makes me more qualified to discuss this than you two because I use a bench shaft paddle, and I'm saying right now it doesn't doesn't make any sense. Yeah, man. So we can I we used, we can stop we can stop ordering those. I used a bench shaft paddle for almost ten years when I was racing slalom. It made no sense then. The reason I did it was that. Ian Wiley used a bench shaft paddle and Brent Weasley used a bench shaft paddle. And I was like, well, those guys are doing it. I'm going to do what those guys are doing. Right. But it was stupid then and it's stupid now. And when I was getting ready to quit racing, I was like, okay, well, I'm still paddling 300 days a year. I'm going to get a straight shaft right now and get used to it because my full-time river running days lie in front of me and I'm getting on the straight shaft paddle program ASAP. And I right. only regret not doing it sooner. So I used a bench shaft with a Shogun blade for for I don't know ten years or more, and it worked okay. I have an Odachi with a bench shaft right now, and Odachi has like a weird, not weird, but uh, you know the, the the power face is set back from the shaft a little bit. You know, the dihedral's you know not not in line with the paddle shaft. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, yeah. And so it has like, but on a bench shaft paddle, it has a really weird clunky feel to it. Like it just doesn't rotate right. And just after dicking around with that for the past couple months, I'm like, this is dumb. They break. They're heavy. It doesn't make any sense. So, did you try a straight shaft with that same blade? No, I use a straight shaft paddle for all for attaining anything like that. I don't have any problems switching back and forth. So, and I'll say another thing: people keep writing about paddling and offset. Listen, it's simple. 200, 202, 204 for most people. Take your pick. Forty-five or sixty. Take your pick. Done. End of discussion. Well, we'll have uh, we'll have J.T. Hartman on the show next week, and he just finished up a research project on the biomechanics of whitewater kayakers for the exercise science department of the University of Puget Sound. 
So he writes in, he says, my study looks at the differences in biomechanics, mainly core rotation and reach, between paddlers using feathered and unfeathered blades. Uh, we won't have the final results for about another week, but I've heard you all might be interested when we learn what they are. So he's been a part of the de debate for a while, so we'll bring him on and either let him know if he's right or wrong with his research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I need to know his credentials beyond beyond being a complete nerd. I need to know what he's paddling. <laughs> oh god. So anyway, that'll be that'll be good to, you know, get a get, you know, there'll be some serious research that it'll be good to to hear his. Has he asked us to peer review his paper yet? Is, is right. I think that's what's happening to be honest. So we'll see how that shakes up. But I'm glad that you're done with the bench shaft. I pedaled a I broke a paddle one time and had to paddle the middle fork of the Kings. First time ever with a bent shaft, and oh my god, dude! I mean, I still had a blast because the river's so clean. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so where do we start, guys? Where do you want to, you want to get into some Hammer Factor love here from some listener mail? That was our pre-show. Okay. That was like a forty-minute pre-show. <laughs> We're so out of time. It's time to get the show started. Okay. Um, that was like the most inside baseball policy discussion ever. Yeah, but it was good. I mean, now that I've actually been on the ball field, I feel like uh, I can actually hear what it's all we don't about. Have a, we, don't have a, we don't have a guest today, so this was well-timed. And we've been trying to get this particular guest in for a while. And Grace, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I think this guest, if he's listening, he knows too. We have been shunned. Uh, in a major way by this guest and very and I don't yeah. know I don't know why it could be I don't you know it's, it's an intimidating environment here it's not really for everybody to be honest <sighs> maybe no right. but he has this this person has everything to gain from coming on here he's well respected we uh yeah. we all enjoy this individual's company yes but uh and is there anybody right now who's at the top of their game more so than this person in our in our industry no, I mean, he, has I some, he has some peers for sure, but I mean, there's no one's killing it like more than he is. I think I think he would be MVP for like if you had to look back at 2018 and give an MB, MVP for his specific field. I think he wins it. Right. This is. I mean, uh, this is a pitch. This, I, I I think this person listens to the show. Is that right? Oh yeah, I'm sure that this person's listening to the show. If he's not listening to the show, one of his co-workers or other friends should we say the initials to make sure this person knows we're talking about? i think yeah. we can leave it there this person definitely knows okay so all right yeah that's true because we've we've emailed him many times so next week next week mystery guest we'll have him and paddle offset it'll be as geeky and inside baseball as you can get um this guy's gonna come back and say zero offset i know that's what he's gonna say because no he's not that's the nerd conclusion. Zero offset. No way. <laughs> There's no way. Dude, you're like Zinky. All the you have nerdy, to do, all drunk you have to do conclusion. Is, <laughs> all you have to do is look at somebody paddling with a zero offset paddle to know that the biomechanics are, are off. Right. He's, and here's here, okay. Here's my prediction. He's going to say zero offset, and he's going to go on to say that to do zero offset correctly, you need to have two control hands, which is the stupidest way of justifying zero offset. It's like justifying a bad idea with a worse idea. Right, I think he's just going to say that we were right all along. I well, should hope so. Okay, let's I mean, move if forward. You pull, if you pull the, what, the top fifty paddlers in the world right now, what they're using, 
I'm also not interested in having anybody on who's not pre-confirming or confirming or <laughs> Thank pre-set you. ideas. <laughs> like I don't, I don't need somebody else on that we have to explain why they're wrong. We had this guy <laughs> write a chart that he made, and he, if you just look at the chart, you think like he found this on Google and it's like some science to it, but then you dig a little deeper and realize he just made this up. And the chart has has a, has a person who's six feet tall using it, and under the right conditions a hundred and ninety four centimeter paddle. Which wait, wait, he was. I mean, to be fair, wait, the person wait. who wrote this chart sent this chart in. It's a beautiful chart, and I'm impressed that he created this in five minutes per his email. <laughs> and I, he's not asserting it as authority. He's asserting it as a representation of the disinformation you're finding on the internet. Okay. All right. Well, I didn't. Maybe I didn't read this carefully enough. I just looked at the chart and started poo-pooing. Okay. <laughs> Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Yeah. We, I mean, we... to me, the chart is a perfect representation of of why you need to listen to us and not trust the Google to tell you what paddle length to use. Can we okay. can we wait to tear in to the research until it's actually presented to us? Because I do want to tear into this, and I have a lot to say. And Priscilla Macy writes in, and of all people, she should know better. I mean, here's the thing. Somebody. If you want to persist in satisfying your own obstinacy by continuing to use an incorrect offset paddle, I, I mean, it, it's all just for fun. If you want to make bad decisions, you're free to do that. But please don't subject other people to that. If you're introducing other people to the sport and you're giving them 30 degree or zero degree offset paddles, like it's like teaching someone to sniff glue or something. Like, don't do right. that. Yeah, it's just... Yeah, it's just like when you, it's like telling someone when they paddle, they need to crook their wrist at like a sort of uh, a palsied angle every time they take a paddle stroke. It's probably why there's probably so many people using bent shafts is because they've created all these wrist problems for themselves by using zero offset paddles. You might be onto something. <clears throat> it's probably all a big conspiracy cooked up by some <laughs> big paddle. Okay. I'm going to come back next week and talk about using a bench after wing. That's okay. going to be my, my go-to water paddle. Listen, the Hydra has... <laughs> Which re- I have used. The Hydra has sprouted as its head's back. All right, let's move on right. here. Um, I this... can't imagine what's going to happen next week. It's just going to be awful. All right, tune in next week. Jesus. We're way over time. But we all agree, right? Bench shafts are done. Bench shafts are done. I right? never, ever, ever didn't agree with that. That's always 100% my case. You can go through every single show we've ever recorded. Okay. So No, I, I knew you guys would be on board. Um, this comes at us from Josh Driscoll. Hey, y'all. New paddler here. Just getting into the sport and having the time of my life and wondering what took so long. Getting started at 41 years of age. It was a chilly morning dawn patrol on the Locust Fork this morning. Uh, having shelled out a nice sum of cash to get the basics, he's got it in quotes, um, I'm still in the process of saving to step up to get into dry suit land one day. In the meantime, thank Ja I found your show and liked it enough to go back and listen to every freaking episode. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Josh, I am sorry, my man. Uh, I'm glad you listened, but damn, oh brother! Can you imagine this poor person on paddling friends after like talking to someone after they've listened to a hundred hours of Hammer Factor sequentially. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> this non-dry suit newbie knew just what to do this morning, and yes, thanks to Lewis and his infinite wisdom, I just grabbed the closest available scarf and went whisking away down the river, warm and swashbuckling like a champ. Seriously, keep them coming. The show is invaluable to folks like me. So. I'm informative entertaining at the same time the sweet combo much love jay so 
can you expand on like exactly what kind of scarves we could use or how the fitting goes for scarves or if you know how does this work Lewis I'm picturing Lewis is kind of like the little prince sort of a bon vivant kind of a look <laughs> like a pilot scarf like a, like a beret <laughs> yeah am I far off on that <laughs> We're, I don't even recall the scarf comment do you do you John Grace I do remember the I, scarf comment I, uh, I've been having this conversation with Grace like ad nauseum for the last four days which is I have no recollection of this whatsoever and I have no I have no problems with people wearing scarves I guess <laughs> but I don't think I own a scarf like I don't I, I cannot imagine under what circumstances I would have advocated for wearing a scarf. Josh, send us an email See, back exactly the... where where that was mentioned. But I, my reference is when somehow we were back on Valley Mill and we were talking about how spoiled we are with gear right now. You were like, back at Valley Mill, we just throw on a scarf and t-shirt and say, have at it. I think you're talking <laughs> about maybe we're, maybe using like a plastic bag as a beanie. Is that what it was? I, don't, I mean, I, I don't I've definitely that. talked about that before. Like a plastic grocery bag on your head is like that's the ticket. Anyway, Josh, we need you. We, <laughs> just sort of the opposite of wearing scarf. <laughs> we need to. We need you to send us the show, the episode that we that this that Lewis dropped this bomb and uh, this value bomb, and we'll we'll look it up and get to the bottom of it. Yeah. Um, moving on, Graham Clancy. Uh, love the podcast, guys. I'm sure Grace was busy with the Green Race and Weld is busy trying to sell IR gear to everyone for Christmas, but we need more shows. The recent trend of once a show a month just isn't enough. Keep up the good work. Graham, you are not the only person. There is a list of other emails just like this, and we're certainly going to do our best there. It is tough. I mean, you know, three of us have got a lot going on, um, but that's no excuse. We dropped into this pit we gotta keep digging um <laughs> hello mr grace this message is directed towards john weld i was recently faced with the decision to purchase a new dry top and dry suit and i went with ir because of your time commitment to the hammer factor anyone who's willing to take time out of their crazy lives to give back to the community that has given them so much deserves my business so thank you moose samuel yeah. d morris all right thank you let let Blackburn let Blackburn know that I will be sending our pitch deck for advertising for the 2019 year weld. Um, this is a long email. This is from uh, Ben. Do we have a last name for Ben? He says yeasted liers Ben. Basically, he's got love for Lewis, and it's kind of turned into a love fest for Lewis. So I'm not going to get all into all these. Um, mm. Mm. That's a rightful love, though. Come on, Lewis. Um, all right. Thanks, hey, Ben. Hey, guys. This is from uh, Josh McNaughton. Josh has wrote him before, I believe. Uh, hey, guys. Hoping to hear more from the Hammer Factor in the near future. Blah, blah, blah. You're not releasing enough shows. What's the deal with your time limit? Uh, next to paddle length and offset, offset, comments about being behind schedule seem to dominate each episode. If the time limit is self-imposed, I just say go for it. I also noticed... Blah, 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 <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Oh, here's something. Now that IR plans to sell beer and white salmon, how long before IPA sales is eclipse spray skirt profits? Seriously, though, Not congrats to Will. He'll know that we'll be supping in no time. Well, let me, let me answer the question here about uh, time length. And it just comes back to we only have so much time to do this. So... For planning out the show, and it goes on, I usually allot myself two hours. 
And that's two hours from the time we do our pre-show all the way through and to whatever. If I had all day to sit around and talk Hammer Factor, I would certainly be open to it. I know that every time we get done with this show, Lewis is racing off and Weld is racing off as well. Editing the show, when we're done with it, takes a significant amount of time longer. Everything from exporting to uploading to the whole nine yards. So basically it's a it's a cost-time benefit thing. So that's... That's where the time show comes from. Inappropriate comments. And then there's there's always <laughs> right, a, takes at least an hour. <laughs> there's always there's always a phone call that comes in like right as I'm done and like walking away. He's like, Grace, you know what I said about blah 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 blah. We need to pull that. <laughs> I've done that. I've done that maybe twice. <laughs> but I have done it. <laughs> no, because I Kara Kara, my wife is is always. I know she listens to the show, and she's she is on the edge of her seat waiting for me to say something horrendous, uh, and so that's always in the back of my mind. <laughs> oh, anyway, that's the reason. I mean, it really just is the amount of time, and it, and the longer it gets, all that exponentiates from recording to editing to everything. So, how about, how about a hammer factor scarf? I mean, let's talk about product ideas. All right. Well, send us. I mean, if anybody wants the Hammer Factor scarf, <laughs> send yeah. us send us an email, and we may be able to make one up. Could we get in time for the Christmas, like a stocking stuffer? Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> Lewis, we could have like a little Lewis like signature embroidered on it. <laughs> I actually kind of hate scarves. I don't know. <laughs> That's what you were saying in DC, but I don't know. We'll find out. We'll get to the bottom of this. Um, all right, here's a couple things I'll throw over to you guys. Um, this comes at us, hat tip to... says, hey, Hammer Factor, big fan of the show. Was wondering if you could keep this an- <laughs> anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I messed up, and that was totally not on purpose. Um, I'm a member of a collegiate kayak club, <laughs> and a friend and I routinely find ourselves solely responsible for leading the rest of our leader base, often groups of 10 or more, down class 3 to 5 runs and picking up the pieces that ensue. I was wondering if you had any advice on how to manage larger groups when on a run where only one or two people are qualified to lead and rescue. Showing your friends down a run without mansplaining the sport of kayaking, giving people opportunities to improve their skills without putting themselves or rescuers in danger, and finding a polite way to phrase, you shouldn't swim class 5, and... Don't pull your fucking skirt after one roll attempt. Cheers. So I will bleep out the name there because I definitely don't want to throw this person under the bus. But uh, thoughts, fellas? Well, I taught kayaking for 10 years or so, and I developed a uh, – here, here's the technique, the time-tested technique that we that we used is that if you have a group of – say you have two people taking a group of people down the river and you have, say, six or seven students, which wouldn't be uncommon, maybe eight – uh, you know, there's definitely with inexperienced instructors to to get the train. They just get a train going where you get a person in front, a person in back, and just lead the, tr- the charge to train down to the rapid. And people who flip and swim this collect them at the bottom. But I, I think that's that's just a bad mistake. And you're kind of looking for people who have a terrible experience in the river and not like kayaking if you do it that way. And, you know, in the bottom, in the back of your head, you have to be thinking that you are kayaking, um, which is like skiing. Uh, and not sledding, right? You're not just bombing down the hill going straight forward like you're on an inner tube. So the way we would do it uh, is you'd get the group uh, group together at the top of the rapid, 
if you have two of you, what you can do is you get one person out of the bottom and you get one person at a crux move. Uh, uh, you know, maybe an idiot pe- people can catch or some place that requires some special assistance of a rock that's going to be trouble. And they bring them down one at a time. And you, you just, you can, the person in the midway point can signal up to the group and, you know, they have a little hand signal they can use to send person down. They come down one at a time and, and they can, they can c- catch that midway eddy and then go on to the next piece of the rapid. Uh, that's, that's my technique. It doesn't sound like rocket science, but you'd be surprised when people just line people up and just shoot them down the rapid like it's a rafting trip. I would right. say this person is also kind of kind of pointing the finger at his his beater buddies. But if you're the one who's like leading a bunch of people who are over their head and not capable of making their own decisions down whitewater, that's not for them. Like that's on you, man. Like, yeah. like if your buddies can't run and whatever it is you guys want to go run without swimming, like go somewhere easier. Right. Like you're own this this is your responsibility not theirs you know <laughs> so this is just a thinly veiled yeah i get where you're coming no, from what you want to have you want to have one person swimming at a time you don't want to have four people swimming all at the same time which is ridiculous and it just defi- it just it 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 goes against everything you're supposed to do in kayaking you know where you're breaking up a rapid by being in control and breaking up little chunks at a time and catching eddies Right. And, but if you're running like class four or five, like nobody should be swimming. Like that's the correct number, you know, right. like taking yeah. learners out who might swim on class three is fine. But once you're kind of moving beyond that, if, if everybody's just yard sailing all the time, like, yeah, yeah. And you're reinforcing the worst stereotype of kayaking being dangerous yeah. and scary. Like you made the, the bad decisions were made in the parking lot, not on the river at that point <laughs> okay so our advice here is just tone it down a notch for your whole Absolutely. group okay yeah i like that uh here's an email that comes at us from ian churchill ian churchill says for real though maybe talk about other stuff you do and he's got the the subject of this thought this might be of use to weld and it is mm. uh some kind of stupid sup equipment where you can stand up inside your house and wear a pair of board shorts with no shirt and it's do, like somebody's like converted the Nordic track into a SUP right. deal. I, I love it. The guy presumably for this photo shoot, or, you know, you're, you're supposing that you're going to be in your living room with barefoot, <laughs> shirtless, with a flat brim hat. That's shock and bra. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's my favorite part of this. That's your right. That's that's the, your typical. If you want, if anybody would like an SUP specific workout regime, they can get on. You're welcome to come over and mop my house. <laughs> um okay thank you for that email um wait he had a topic in there that he wanted to bring up um i want to hear lewis and will get confused and exasperated as grace explains this one wheel thing maybe they could find someone to borrow one from in white salmon and record themselves flailing around on it stay classy y'all so do you guys need some explaining about the one wheel and i'm gonna get I'm, i'm gonna get into some intrinsic values of one wheel that you don't even know about later in the show because we have another topic that this is going to feed right into so we'll we'll talk about one wheel you know if hey anybody who denies lithium ion technology you know what i want in paddle sports for lithium ion technology i want for like the long like 16 18 foot sea kayaks where you're doing big crossings or whatever i want like a small it doesn't weigh that much it's like two pounds or something battery propulsion system that like slides into a little thing and it doesn't like cruise you along you still have to paddle but it adds like two miles an hour it's to like your an speed. e-bike yeah it's like it's like paddle assisted 
Dude, think how far you could go. Like, you could go out to islands that no one ever gets to and camp out there for a week and come back just all... Take a, at that point, just take a motorboat. Oh, Why don't you just harden up? Yeah, sir, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> just harden up. I, I, the whole, first of all, in Hood River, where we are, there's e-bikes everywhere. Everywhere. It just strikes me as a, as a step in the wrong direction. Somebody who has a, a handicap parking tag... Like, if you have some legitimate physical disability that prevents you from pedaling your own ass up the hill, then you can yeah. ride an e-bike. And if not, harden up. Yes. Dude, poo-pooing on lithium-ion technology is the silliest thing to ever do. But anyway, that's a whole other topic. We could have a whole show on that. Um, this comes out from Tom O'Keefe. Uh, we were talking on the show about the uh, navigability toolkit and the stewardship toolkit on the AW side. This is... This is the thing that explains the river access laws in your state. So if you're there's some landowner who's trying to yell at you for paddling, this is like the resource to help you out that I said that you couldn't find except by Googling it. And sorry, go on. Yeah. And so it's under stewardship. It's under organization menu under stewardship. And then you'll find it listed there. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Tom also says the Tacoma is not the best boating vehicle Prius all the way. He sent a picture of himself with a 18-foot raft strapped to the roof of the Prius. <laughs> Pretty good stuff. Thanks for that, Tom. That's, 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 that's a proof of concept. That's not really showing that's a good idea. Dude, it, it, it's, <laughs> it's like paddle offset. It's a minivan. It's decided. It's done. That's the best vehicle for paddling, 100%. The economical vehicle. Right. If funds are not an issue, you can throw some other things in there. But It's settled. No reason to talk about that anymore. <laughs> um, Nick Hines he wants Stukesbury and Keller on the show he enjoyed our coverage of Big Waterfalls and I heard some other names being thrown around seems like you yeasted a few of the best better invite Stukesbury and Keller keep up the stellar work and dive into the topics you know Nick Hines made a great um, guidebook that I don't think many people know about on the Northwest do you have a you copy did. of this Lewis? I do I do not because, and I'm going to go on a bit of a rant here. The guidebook, it's it's like a beautiful guidebook. And they obviously put a ton of effort into it and it has all this great photography. But it doesn't have an index or a table of contents, which is like the yeah. heart of the guidebook. Like that, and like I went to go buy this thing and I realized it didn't have an index or a table of contents. And just as a matter yeah. of principle, I did not buy it for that reason. Because well, like that, that, that wasn't Nick's that, fault. That was, that was, a, Nick explained to me that was the publisher's fault. They, 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 there was an index that was left out. I mean, that is like a, like a, like a reprint the book scenario. Like if you don't have an index in the guidebook, like that is like, I mean, that is the guidebook. Like, the index is the thing. Like, you need to have, like, ten indexes. You need to have, like, the rivers, like, listed by class, by season, by alphabetical order, <laughs> by drainage. Like, that's that's the thing that you need. Not just, like, a... I mean, otherwise, it's a coffee table book. And, like... Like, I, I mean, maybe when they get to the second printing, I'm in. But, like, goddamn. <laughs> well, <laughs> Am I wrong? It's... I hear what you're saying, but it's got a really good like geographical yeah. um, printout right in the front of it. I mean, it doesn't have a proper. I, I found it to be. I mean, I, I found it to be usable on that on that merit. You could look up the geographic area and you know pin it down pretty quickly. Yeah, but I hear you on the index, and that's why in the Whitewater Journal there's an index at the end, so you can go back and summarize your 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 year of paddling. But anyway. 
big props to Nick. I would check out this book. I think it was really good. There are several rivers in here that I had not heard of. So anytime that happens, I'm stoked on that. And Nick, I, well, I, and you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, this, the big, I, I think the big news about the bench half paddles. And I, I suspect we're going to see a lot of people, you know, taking their bench ass out to the dumpster in the next week or two <laughs> and getting new paddles, straight shaft paddles. And I think Nick, I mean, honestly, owes us something for that, right? A commission or, I don't know, Nick. Um, oh, that's right. Nick, Werner? Yeah, so, yeah. We'll talk next week. He sells, he sells Werner paddles. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Right? Well, I mean, the, the bench shaft thing is held on. I don't get it, you know, but, I mean, people buy them. You used to buy them. Well, I don't know. It's a weird thing to me. Yeah. Well, it's the, it's the end. It's the end of an era. Um, Steve, <laughs> useless. Good luck selling your left-hand control Burk. 204 60-degree offset. Chef <laughs> <laughs> battle for $450 welds. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and you need to destroy it so it doesn't end up in somebody's unlucky hands, and then they start using that type of equipment. <laughs> they can't. You should. You want to see a confused individual handle my power. They, they'll flip it back and forth in their hands a couple times and just be like, I don't know. I do not understand this at all. Um, um, Steve Useless Urich. Urich quotes. He's got useless. Um, Steve, you're not useless. He's looking to find a way to download episodes one through six. I had no idea they were not up there, um, but I will try to work that out. Um I have those archived. I'm not sure what's going on there. Here's one. This is a good one I actually am interested in. Um, this is a long email, so yeah. I'm not going to read the whole whole, sin, whole thing. Um, basically, he's trying to figure out what kind... What's this guy's name? Jake? J, J-A-I-C. Jake? I, Jake O.C. That's what I would call it. Okay. Um, anyway... He's looking to decide between a, I guess he's got it narrowed down to an IR and a Kokatat dry suit. He's come across some things and comments on Reddit. Um, mm-hmm. Interesting point on there. He said, when saturated, a dry suit's breathability becomes immaterial anyway. Yeah. Um, if it's more durable than gore, I think that's the route you should go. What are your thoughts on this? Like is is once the dry suit gets wet, is does breathability matter anymore? Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, he he makes him he he brings up an excellent question. So waterproof breathable fabric. I mean, under even under the best conditions, uh, you know, waterproof breathable laminates. And there's a couple different kinds out there, but they all operate under the same basic mechanism. It's the humidity difference between the inside of the garment and the outside of the garment. And when you have difference in humidity, that's the engine that kind of drives the breathability. I mean, there's more to it, but that's kind of the, the basics of it. Um, under the best conditions, uh, when the jacket is brand new, completely dry, and it's a very breathable, very breathable laminate, which you really can't do in paddle sports because we're too hard on laminates, these things don't transport that much moisture. They just don't. I mean, you're talking like 4,000 mm, you know, which in 24 hours, which is how much moisture goes through the barrier. It's nothing. I mean, it's slightly more breathable than a plastic bag. Um, that's the first thing. And if it wasn't the case, 
you know, you wouldn't have all these pit zips and front zips and things in a rain jacket because even with breathable fabric, you know, that's the icing on the cake. When you look at classic breathable garment design, you know, in a rain jacket or alpine jacket, it's like how, how does the neck open up to let the vapor escape, right? When you get to a dry suit, all those things are off the table. You can't have pit zips in a dry suit, obviously, and big open necks. Um, so what happens when the dry suit starts to get wet is the first thing is you have this DWR. I know I've talked about DWR coatings on dry suits and, and, thing, and breathable garments before, but to refresh, all these garments ship with a spray or a coating on the fabric, on the shell fabric on the outside of the garment. It's not the laminate. It's not the thing that makes making this garment waterproof, but it's a spray that makes water bead off of the, the shell fabric, right? And it keeps the shell fabric relatively dry for some period of time. And due to environmental concerns, these these DWR coatings are getting worse and worse. Or they're getting they're performing worse and worse because those stuff we used to use 20 years ago, you can't really. It's just too nasty to use. So what happens is is the shells of these garments start to wet out, right? Uh, and so the shell fabric of the garment starts to absorb water and hold water and sticks in, in the weave of the yarn. Um, and if nothing else, at that point, you get. Uh, you get really bad condensation in the inside of the garment. So you've taken something that's already barely breathing to begin with, um, and you have a very cool outer shell, and you get really bad condensation on the inside of the jacket forming, which people will insist that the garment's leaking, but it's not. Um, and this is something that's particularly no- noticeable in a dry suit because the- theoretically there should be no way for moisture to get in this thing and suddenly you're soaking wet. But it's just it's just condensation and sweat forming inside this thing. Um in terms of breathability and the shell fabric getting wet, if it's harming the breathability, we all speculate that that's certainly the case, that when sh- when fabrics get really wet, that they stop breathing as well, mostly because this humidity engine starts to really not work that well. Um, I don't have exact data on this, so I, I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, you know, claim my reputation on this or stake my re- reputation on this, but I, I think everyone, we all get the very strong sense that that the humidity engine just no longer works when the shell gets soaking wet. Um, I mean, the 900-pound gorilla of a dry suit and the issues you have with the dry suit is the durability of the laminate and the durability of the tree coat on the inside of the thing and how all those things hold together. I mean, that, and then, then you have the breathability. And under certain circumstances, you know, the breathability matters. But I think the point this guy's getting at is that certainly for most whitewater paddlers, I think people should realize the small role that breathability pays in these things. So, yeah, so to your question. Yeah, I think, think that's that good. Sums on, it up. on my list of what I want in a dry suit, I want it to be dry at the top of the list, comfortable yeah. second, and then breathable is like third. I don't even – it's not even in my equation. It's supposed to be like a warm, dry thing. So. Breathability is an ingredient, right? It's an aspect to a dry suit. You do want to get a breathable dry suit because it does something, but I don't think it does nearly what people think it does, mm-hmm. especially when you look how, how – how not breathable most dry, dry suits are. Like you just can't make, you know, you can get any, like you go like Gore-Tex, Gore-Tex makes, will make a, a laminate as breathable as you want. Um, but you can't get the lightest weight ones because they just get destroyed in kayaking. I mean, absolutely ruined. So. Well, great email there. Good answer, John. I like that. Thanks for that, Jake. Um, here's a pretty interesting one. Interesting one. Preston Oaks, he writes in subject line, whitewater scuba diving. Interested in hearing your thoughts on whitewater scuba diving. I'm a PADI diver myself, but never thought of merging it with whitewater. This is fascinating because I have a few times went scuba diving at the base mm-hmm. of like some waterfalls and some things in the summer. I've always wanted to do it more. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys have a take on this? I know that 
Jess Whittemore, who's, if you've been in boating for any period of time, you've heard his name. He works for us uh, in the 90s. You know, there was a rumor in Ohio pile on the yacht that, and I think this rumor is kind of dead now. Maybe Jess may have put an end to this, but there was a rumor. I remember when we first got there that there was a a, a plane. It was like a, a, a top secret prototype plane from the Air Force that was sunk at the bottom of Ohio pile falls. They hid it there. Um, and that rumor was very persistent and went on for many years. And Jess, who was, uh, you know, was licensed or registered or whatever, scuba diver, was like, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. And Jess is exactly the right person to figure this out. So he and uh, I think it was with Amy Conger, if I'm not mistaken, they went scuba diving at the at the base of Ohio Pile Falls in high summer. It was a beautiful day. And he said it was like – he said it was big stair steps, like six-foot stair steps as you went down from the bank towards the base of the falls. And at first, it was disorienting because the currents were getting pushed you around. You weren't sure what you're getting sucked back into the waterfall. And he was a little bit disconcerting. But after a bit, you kind of get the feel of it. And then eventually, they made it to the bottom of the of the of the base of the Ohio Pile Falls. And you, he said you could sit on the bottom. And it's very sandy. It's like a sandy trench. And you could look up, and you could see the very bottom curve of the of the bubbles of the falls plunge hitting. And you could reach up and touch it. But where you sat on the bottom, it was you know completely calm. Cool. Um, then he went over to the river left bank was an observation deck, and he said there is a ton of money stuffed in the cracks and the rocks where people throw coins off of there. Really? Huh. Yeah. But no, no jet. No jet. No plane. No plane. How do we get Jess to write his memoirs? Yeah. Well, he's got to start out by getting a that. whitewater journal. <laughs> 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 no, that's super cool. I would really be into doing that. I'm not certified. I'm not a scuba diver, but I am definitely intrigued with how it looks down there, how deep it is, the way the undercut shelves and things really are. I yeah. don't know. That's super interesting. Can we get it... Jess on? Will he ever come on? I could ask him. That'd be great, man. I was thinking about stories like he's told me about him and Keith Backland out like like fishing with bombs and hunting out of Jesse's nine eleven. <laughs> like just yeah. the guy's the best stories, man. Yeah, that's some crazy and just an stuff. absolute, absolute legend of our sport. Right. Like I think you wrote, I think John wrote somewhere at one point that if you've ever done a pivot turn in your entire life, you owe Jess Whittemore a royalty check for that. Yeah, I know the feeling. I remember, I remember, I was sitting on the bank at railroads, but probably mid eighties, early, early to mid eighties, with me and my dirtbag, uh, not dirtbag. We were just little shits from DC on the bank it just came by in a darth vader helmet and millennium falcon and uh, we were sitting on the rocks <laughs> and he went off he went off railroad sideways and went completely underwater like disappeared and then his boat like did like a stern squirt as he emerged out in the pool and you know we're like in pla- you know plastic boats like we thought we were hot shit in our hydro mustangs or whatever and at, at that point i realized i knew nothing and that my entire universe was changed forever. Like what I understood paddling to be was no longer anything that I recognized. Previous uh, to that. Oh, so, man. Um, whew. <laughs> that brings up all kinds of memories. All right, Ben says, um, Yo, guys, great job with the show so far. My question involves people's shuttle rigs. I have always had a moto carrier that hangs off the tow hitch of my car with a small motorcycle or a scooter that is street legal-ish for shuttle. The whole system was pretty cheap and allows any group to drive only one car to paddle. Do you think more people will have self-sustained shuttle rigs in the future? Ultimate self-sufficient shuttle vehicles in the whitewater world? Question mark. Thanks. Hope you guys are having a good paddling season. Well, I think we're we're already prototyping at IR self-driving shuttle vehicles. 
Oh, that would be the ultimate. Think right, about we've, created a course. we've created a closed off course where we're, we're uh, prototyping these right now. So I've had this conversation with Willie Powell before who worked for a self-driving car company in Silicon Valley. And I just was like, roll I, I was just like, I don't care about self-driving cars. This means nothing to me. And then it dawned on me that you could have a car that could drive your shuttle for you. And all of a sudden my enthusiasm <laughs> went from zero to like, <laughs> like a thousand. <laughs> Well, this is where lithium-ion technology comes in because you can the, the new XR one wheel will go 15 miles on one. Oh God, we'll go uh, we'll go 15 miles on one charge. So you could just drop this thing, stash it in the bushes somewhere, go down paddling with everybody, jump on your one mill one wheel. It goes 15 miles an hour, 20 miles an hour. Cruise back to your car. Done deal. So. I think that I, I mean, I think, I think that's a great idea. I don't, I don't have like a scooter or, or anything wait, wait, like that. Wait, wait, let me, can we back up for a second? You're serious about using a one wheel for a shuttle vehicle as like a practical thing. Or are you just, you just, you, you just making a joke? No, I mean, a, a scooter goes 30 miles an hour. A one wheel goes 20 miles so an you, hour. So you'd run the green and do the shuttle on a one wheel up that hill. Well, it wouldn't be practical for the green. Exactly. It wouldn't be practical in 99% of the places you paddle. I can't think of a single place I'd paddle where I take a one wheel down to run the shuttle. Let me finish. It wouldn't be practical for the green <laughs> because you got to take it on the interstate. Okay? Exactly. But For, for whatever... Th- there's like a thousand reasons why they're being practical. But for the side roads, if there was like a good side road route up there, I would just shred it up on my one wheel, dude. Going up that hill, that's, it'd be fun as asp- balls. That is so, so aspirational. You're picturing the one time you can do a river with that circumstance, dude, which if, is never. If I had an electric assist bike that I could yeah. – oh, man, there's tons well, of Well, we shouldn't poop through this because basically what it means is we'll be able to just leave the shuttle to people like Grace who are enthusiastic about this. The more other people get enthusiastic on this no, plan, not, the more it's shuttles it's, we can get down on. It's going to take three <laughs> fucking hours to run shuttle, right? We're sitting there waiting for Grace to do this on a one wheel. The battery dies. He's on the side of the road. Okay, here's the thing. We're like, we're like, Grace, we'll meet you at the Little White Takeout. Leave Grace's one wheel down there. We'll drive Grace's car to the put in, and then we'll get off the river and you drive home. And Grace will get shuttle on his one wheel. I'm okay with that. <laughs> right, you be pouring rain. Grace is on the side of the road with like logging trucks going past at like 110 miles per hour <laughs> on his one wheel. Would you wear a bike helmet on the one wheel? Do you think? Or how of you course wear? you'd wear a helmet. And they've got lights on the front and back of them. You'd be fine. You're underestimating the power of the one wheel, you guys. Moving on here, that's settled. Um, just finished listening to episode 58. This comes at us from Becca. Becca has some rants here. Just finished listening to episode 58. You ended with a mention of how it used to look like winter during the green race, and now it's not even peak leaf season during the race. I'm guessing the race has occurred around the same day each year. Yes, for Saturday in November. Um, if so, that felt like a perfect segue into a rant on climate change. That shit is real and affects us all as humans and will definitely affect our rivers. I just wanted to encourage encourage you to get ranty on that one. Cheers, big fan, Becca. We also have another update on uh, that kind of is along the same lines of this before we start talking about Oh man, we either got to pick climate change here or publishing river beta online. Which which one do you guys want to get into on this show? Publishing river beta. Scrap client science. I mean, it's mostly fake anyway, right? 
that's exactly my point. Okay. I don't believe any of this. Okay. And Lewis, you're in. No, I think you have, you, have a, you have a guest coming next week to discuss this, don't we? Yep, we have a we have a NOAA certified climate sci- scientist coming in to discuss climate. He's going to he's going to detail exactly how bad this has become. And he's actually someone I knew and that I went to high school with and in college. So if you guys want some background information on me from back in the day, this may be your opportunity to grab it. Yeah, we can we can punt on this until next next week. But we we had some big good internal meetings at OA and DC last week as well, and we're fired up to to raise some hell on climate change this year. It's 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 a big deal, the you know, biggest deal. You know. Okay. Um, okay. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say let's get into this Thomas Sunderland thing because I'm looking at their notes here. It's it's endless. Yeah. So. Thomas Sunderland on publishing River Beta, and I'm going to read this. It's kind of long. I'm not. Let's gonna... just no. Let's we can let's do, let's do a synopsis because I can I can I can sum this up really quickly. Okay, sum it up for it's, us. All right, because I right. So he, he's basically like, should we be publishing River Beta? You know, like River Guidebooks and online and com, you know, compending all your knowledge and logistics of lesser known creeks and putting them online for people to read. Um, and his question, you know, he's asking himself the question is, is it appropriate to withhold some of this information, like access details and stuff like that, to help keep these things, uh, you, you know, somewhat remote and, you know, not too overpopulated? Um, and then he's wondering, you know, questioning that again if that's a selfish act. Uh, right? I mean, that's kind of the long and short of it. Yeah. I have some Lewis, thoughts on this. Yeah, Lewis, go ahead, because I have some thoughts too, for sure. That, especially since moving out west, it's kind of hit me like... Yeah, I mean, so I I think he's asking the right questions, right? And like, I think there is an aspect of keeping secret secret that's worthwhile. And I think that there, it's really become more and more and we can pivot to social media's effect on all this shortly. But, you know, I, I think there are places that become like, like places where people are just checking an item off their list, like, all the Portlanders you see hiking into Spirit Falls right now. And, you know, that's that's problematic. It's like there are places that are marquee places that don't need, like, promotion. But there's a difference to me between sharing some basic information about where these places are and, like, relentlessly creating, like, basically what amounts to a marketing campaign to get everybody to go out there and run Spirit or run Milaco or, you know, get your picture taken at Gorilla or whatever. And I think that has a real destructive effect. But, you know, we, like at Outdoor Alliance, we we need maps of the places that we're advocating for. Like we need this stuff for forest planning, for legislative campaigns, for mineral withdrawals, for whatever it might be. And like having that AW database of where all the whitewater is, is tremendously like i cannot understate or overstate how valuable that information is for us and being able to draw on that stuff like from uh you know trail forks or mtb project or mountain project for climbing and we have you know data agreements with all these places and we like amalgamate that data and kind of convert it into stuff that's useful for advocacy not in like a public facing way but for land management agencies and for lawmakers and if we can't put this stuff on the map, we can't advocate for it. And so I guess I would just add that into the plus column for, you know, for whitewater stuff in particular, sharing that stuff as part of the American whitewater database, not necessarily with like a huge wealth of data associated with it, if there are reasons not to do that, but just having it on the map as like a whitewater run is, 
incredibly useful for us. For sure. But I mean, the key difference is the social media aspect of it because yes. AW database, which we've used responsibly for years as a guy, as a, as a tool to go into a river, knowing what you're getting into. Right. And before that, you know, Wildwater, West Virginia, whatever guidebook you had, but as soon as it goes social, it becomes your, your self branding effort, you know, your yes. self promotion effort. And then totally. it becomes something people have to check off their list to do. And then it becomes the photo, the photo op. Right. Uh, yes. And, that's what that's what that's where it goes sour, right? So, you know, we, a couple of weeks ago, like a month ago, Karen and I and the kids, we went hiking up in the Gifford Pinchot, right? We went to this place called Goat Rocks, and to get to Goat Rocks, right, you have to basically drive into Washington. Then you get in these dirt roads for what, like two and a half hours, whereas you're, you're just a labyrinth of dirt roads with nothing, no cell service, no nothing, right? So with our with our truck and our camper trailer, it was a half a tank of gas to get in there, right? So we get there. Um, we camp, we do the hike, we turn around, we come back, right? Exactly at one tank of gas, uh, to get in and out. And if you ran out of gas, I don't know what the hell you would do, but we were relying on our phone and our GPS to get in there and do this thing. Right. But go rocks, as it turns out, as remote as it sounds is completely overrun with people. Like uh, to a point where they're starting to talk about regulating the number of people that go there and permitting the whole thing because it's just getting trash from the number of people there. Right. Um, and you know, I started thinking like, shit, if you went back there, say if you tried to go to Goat Rocks in 1979, right? You had a car that probably about 19 or 20 miles to the gallon. You had a gazetteer or worse, like a roadmap and a compass. You almost certainly had to bring your own gas, right? Because if you ran out of gas, Lord knows what you would do back in there. Major, major, major expedition to get in there. Um, so it's not only the social media thing, but this technology that we have to get in here and, and, and find these things so easily and, and just get in there and get out with limited resources and, and time. And it's just, it's a scary thing. I don't know. When you, yeah. Am I, I'm, I, I guess so. I'm, I'm in the, like, there's some utility to sharing a minimal amount of beta, beta, but once it becomes this social media promotion effort, like you're destroying the place that you think you care about. Like right. it is killing the little white salmon right now. Like we're going to there's going to be some major reckoning with Spirit Falls access in the not too distant future. Like it is. I mean, everyone who is posting pictures of themselves running Spirit Falls, you are fueling this this machine. And like you think that you're just a drop in the bucket or that it doesn't matter or that nobody's seeing your stuff. But like you're wrong. It's. I mean, I just I it it's a mistake and like eventually everyone who's participated in this you're going to look back on it and cringe and wish you hadn't done it and like please just just fucking stop seriously so can i can i can i can i throw out a theory i want you to i want you to comment on that social media is as dangerous and i'm not even just spirit falls i'm talking about our political and misinformation and all these things being thrown social social media as big a problem as say guns in the united states in terms of a social ill I mean, granted, people aren't getting killed necessarily by social media, but is it is it on par with that kind of discussion? Man, this is a whole different discussion, but I, I do want to answer this. But before I get into this, Lewis, don't you think we need more people outside? We need people outside, but there's a difference between – I mean, giving people the opportunity to go get outside, discover places for themselves, have those formative experiences, learn to – discover things on your own to work to get there is totally totally different in my eyes because, than, yeah, than going wait, to the same place that you've seen a million pictures of on social media and taking your own picture on social media and then 
just repeating a, the process until the place is destroyed. And it definitely yeah, is a, happening. It's the flash mob that shows up at these places, right? It's just, yeah. And it's see, this is tricky like, for me because this is like this is like the guy who doesn't want oil wells, but he's also upset that there's like a wind turbine on top of the hill next to him. You know, I don't follow. Um, you know, like I think it's important that we have more people outside recreating and going to more places. And if there's this token spot that is creating enough interest for someone to be like, man, I'd like to learn to paddle or I'd like to try that or I'd like to that's, get. That's uh, not what you're getting. I mean, if that's what you care about, like take a kid outside and teach him to kayak. It's not that's not the same as going and promoting the exact same location that everybody else is promoting. You know, like go for a hike in the gorge, like go see what Anianta Gorge looks like in the summer. Go see what, you know, Eagle Creek used to look like before it burned to the ground because kids are up there throwing fireworks. Like go see what you know, like some of these overlooked spots in the Grand Canyon look like where there's like a, you know, an iconic photo spot, like Horseshoe Bend or whatever upstream of the Grand. Like, it's like these places are getting fucked from overpromotion. And the people who are going there are going there with this motivation of like, of, you know, like, like, like Facebook likes, like spinning in their head, not thinking about the experience or what they're actually there to do. It just becomes one more tool of like ego gratification. And it's, it's, it's bad for the outdoors. It's bad for your soul. It's just like, like don't. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Well, well, you with me? I, listen, you, I, I think I made my thoughts on social media pretty yeah. clear on this, on the show. I, I think it's the worst thing that's happened in our society or not the worst, but right up there. And it's awful, man. Nothing so good you, comes of it. You, you know, from secret the, secret. Yeah. Like, so from that secret, like things like, going out and doing the seven rivers expedition and putting that blog up and making those movies. I did a disservice to the outdoors by doing that in your guys's mind. It was a far more innocent time, right? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I feel like you also took the sport of kayaking in a way cooler direction by helping people rediscover river running. And like, I think it wasn't just like fueling an existing hype machine in the way that it is now. It's like you were telling people about, you know, things that people didn't really know about then. It wasn't just like a promotion campaign. It's, like who would have so, known that that would have taken but, on such a life, you know? But it's, but it's also, I mean, to, like it's my, it's a thing that I did at Goat Rocks where you could, you could be in Portland and be like, what, what are we going to do today? You could, you could go to Facebook or whatever, see this picture of waterfall, put the address in your phone. It'll give you exact directions how to get there. You know, it, you can, it requires zero work whatsoever to, effort to do this. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it just makes these things unbelievably easy. Where you know, twenty years ago, even if you want to go to Spirit Falls, it would require some, you know, some at least some legwork that honestly would weed out ninety percent of the people. Yeah, this is uh... that, that's that's the world we live in. So you have to consider, you know, what you're doing now in that light, right? That that if you if you tag a place or you make it, you know, in a, in a you know, so people can find it on their phone, that they're going to get there. It's just much easier to get there now. Yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of conflicted on this just because I've probably been on the bad end of that more than most people. According I mean, to we all have. Yeah. Right? But when you so. did seven Rivers expedition, you know, it wasn't, it, that was, it was hard as hell to do what you did, to, you know, just logistically speaking. I mean, right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. But you know, it's just like, there's, I mean, there was nobody that ever went to upper cherry Creek and now there may be, you know, people from all over the world, a hundred paddlers or, or more do it in a year, you know? I mean, 
right. Flintstone camp, you know, people are just like, I don't even want to go to Flintstone camp. It's just run over with people, you know, and whatnot. So it's also like, if I mean, Seven Rivers was definitely the, I mean, maybe that was the, the initial spark, but if everybody who followed you had restrained themselves from endlessly hyping that place up, I don't know. Maybe it's it would have been different. It's a tricky topic. Personally, where it, where the line draws with me is that if you're one of these per- people that are in the know and there is just like this incredible gem of whitewater, but access is an issue, it may turn into getting cut off or uh, for instance, let's say there's some trails that people that aren't necessarily on the trail map in the National Forest, but some guys have went in there and done a ton of work on them and just developed this incredible fall line. I, you know, it's you don't go and talk about those places. But, you know, I, I guess I kind of agree with what you're saying. Once it's on the map, it's kind of okay to talk about it, or is it not, you know? It just, I think it's it's a, there's a difference between talking about it and a different and like just promoting it endlessly. It's like I don't know. I guess that's how I feel about it. I, I just think there's pressure. There's a the pressure is building on these places, and they're and they're you know it's like a pressure cooker. And it's just getting worse and worse and worse. Um, and social media is is the thing that's that's pushing the the, the pressure more than anything, right? It's as soon as you go as soon as these things become facebook staples is where it just goes from somewhat manageable to out of control hmm. no i hear you and it's also like there's a self-limiting factor for the whitewater stuff that's not there for like you know like day hikes to pretty places or whatever but you know the things that we post and put into that hype machine it it doesn't just stay confined to the world of kayakers you know it's like Tell your buddies who are kayakers, but don't put it on social media where it fuels this this broader influx of people who are there for weird reasons. You know, I don't know. No, I hear you. There's definitely a there's definitely a discussion to be had there. You know, you want to you want like me personally. I think that it's good to have more people outside just for it just for things like getting support for LWCF, you know, if place people have been there and they access that and whatever, more people outside is good, but you're right. You don't want, you don't want to love. Yeah, something to death, I agree. I know? totally agree. I mean, it's like, we don't want to become elitists about it. We don't want to become too late. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I guess that's what I'm getting late for me. For, at for least half, half people listen to the show yeah, right now. Like, those elitist assholes, <laughs> who do they think they are? <laughs> Look, those are my rivers. You ask right. me if you want to come. Give me a call. As, <laughs> as someone who's lived in uh, the Pacific Northwest for three months, I feel like those are my rivers exclusive. <laughs> and you East Coasters should stay the hell out. <laughs> How it is. Oh, Everybody who's here before me and <laughs> after me, you dick. Um, Speaking of which, I ran the trust. I ran the trust a couple days ago. What do you think? Should we hype it up? <laughs> see some pictures <laughs> there's nothing to say guys just look elsewhere <laughs> oh man alright let's do some five questions in 30 seconds whose turn is it uh, I I read last time and okay. messed them all up I'm going to ask John is that right yeah I, all think, right. I think that's correct okay these are easy I'm going to knock this out of the park alright hang on let me all get right. wait, wait 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 let me get my timer Ding, 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 ding. 
All right, tell me when. Just go ahead, Lewis, and I will start it. All right, I'm ready. Go. Matthias asks, should you add 15 pounds for the weight of your gear when you're calculating the weight of a paddler per a manufacturer's boat weight recommendations? No. That's silly. Uh, Rob asks, how much gear do I need? Rob has a lot of gear, and I can keep it really simple. You need you need to have a ripper or a brap type boat. You need to have a creek boat. Uh, and you need to have your fetish boat, whether it's a play boat or a squirt boat or whatever. That's the only boat you need. You need a paddle and a breakdown, and presumably you need a dry top or dry suit. Boom. Uh, Harley asks, should you practice 1,000 rolls over the winter? I think 1,000 exaggeration, but I think I know a lot of really, really good paddlers who you, you would never guess, but they have an awful roll. So I, I think I think he's on to something. Uh, Max Posner writes... Uh, this question is, how do you define a class X paddler, a class four paddler, a class five paddler? Yeah. A class four paddler, someone who can paddle class four comfortably, but it's nervous about running class five and so forth. Uh, Jack Mitchell asks something about best river vehicles. Yeah. We got a lot of people talking about this and, uh, I think I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take the, the Lewis angle on this. I, I think the uh, Tacoma is too small. I'm going with the Tundra. All right, we're done. How one, long was that? One minute, 26 seconds. Not bad, fellas. Not bad. That's Damn. a record. That's a record. So, so I have an answer for that. The, I don't think the minivan's a good I don't think – I could see the merit of the minivan, but it's not quite utilitarian enough. I want to talk about the class whatever paddler answer because I have an answer that I, I like for that. Okay. So my thing is you're a class 5 paddler when you can go run – unfamiliar class five with a group of boaters who are all your exact same ability level like you and five you know you and three clones of yourself could go run some class five river that you don't know very much about and set safety for one another make good decisions do all that stuff if you're leaning on someone better than you to like take you down class five you're not a class five boater yet like you got to be equally pulling your weight on whatever grade of white water that is before you can apply that appellation. I like that. You're not just if, along for the ride. You're participating. Presumably that no one else on the trip knows the river better. Yeah, exactly. All right. Like no one knows it at all. Okay. I like that. Well, well, boys, we're at uh, an hour and a half, and so no, we're over an hour and a half, and so it's time for everybody's favorite part of the show that I know you guys have been preparing for. We've got some good topics coming up. Hammer Factor is going to be at the National Paddling Film Festival. We may do something live out there or whatnot. Um, we've got some other topics, tons of things. We've got a whole other show that's going to be jam-packed, but now it is time for Rants and Raves. Who would like to lead us off this episode? I'll lead us Gilman. off. I'll lead us All off. Right. So I'm going to rave about the green race. Because I didn't talk about it in the early part because I got too into the LWCF. So I'm kind of going to use this opportunity just, just to rave about the green race. And really, this is racing in general. Okay? So there were some things that happened. Number one... We had 11 juniors, and we had a junior, a 16-year-old, get a 422 in the race and end up 10th place overall. So to me, that's just incredible. I love seeing that. Who was that? that. Uh, Jeremy Nash 
So young Jeremy Nash, first time he ever saw kayaking. You know, he's 16 years old now, throwing down a 422. He hiked in. He had never been kayaking, just barely in like a pool or around boats at 11 years old. Saw the green race. Once he saw the green race, he was addicted and didn't turn back from kayaking. And I remember him coming in there with his parents at 11. And so now he's just straight up crushing it. So that's just super cool to see. Um, Lewis will hate on this, but we had 2,000 people come in to spectate down at the race this year. We actually had a counter of people. So how many of those 2,000 people saw kayaking and how rad it was for the first time? And they will want to get in a race and go paddling in the future. Do you worry about the impact down there? Um, I do, but it's it's amazing. No. It's am- <laughs> It's amazing how... <laughs> I mean, literally, we go in and do the sweep and break down the gates and everything, and there's literally no trash. This year, we found a purple sweater and one can of uh, uh, LaCroix or LaCroix or whatever. And so it's just kind of regulated by how steep it is to get in there. There is some erosion that happens on the steep part down to the trail, and I think that's going to have to be addressed at some point in the future. But... uh, I don't know. I, I see it as a good thing and, and whatnot, um, and not so much as a bad thing, personally. But uh, but I can see your point, and there definitely are places that are that are loved to death and whatnot. But I don't know. It's just uh, it's just hard to get to. It's back on windy roads. You got to hike an hour each way. They got to hike out of there. It kind of just self limits itself. If that makes anything any sense. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, we had. A bunch of X racers there. There, you know, Clay. Clay Wright was still racing this year, which I thought was awesome. We had Clay, we had Hale, we had Hillicky, we had Isaac, we had Pat. A bunch of you know former champions. I got to give a big shout out in the race to both Dane and Adrian. They both had the swagger going all week before the race, so they both laid it down in a big way. Um. I don't know. I just think that racing is everybody had such a great time. We had a thousand people at the festival afterwards. Blackburn came in. He had a good time. You know, it was funny because uh, he had some funny, funny comments about his training. I think he felt like taking a sea kayak, sea kayak down the lower little white salmon was going to get him ready. So that was kind of funny. Yeah. No, he, he mentioned that. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. Like, I wonder how that junior participation compares to slalom racing these days. Like it was just, you know, I mean, I mean, I don't know. I mean, 11, I mean, I, I got to hope that there's still like 11 juniors racing at slalom nationals, but like, I wouldn't bet the house on it. You know, it's like, it's just remind, like when I was a kid and they would always have the junior races on like the lamest whitewater and even on big races, they would make the course super easy because they were like, oh, you know, we got to make this accessible. People are going to get discouraged and quit. And like, you know, when I was a kid, you know, me and my cohort were very much like, like, no, like if you do that, you're just going to make it lame and no one's going to want to do it anymore. Yeah. And I, I feel pretty vindicated on that one, you know. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. yeah. For sure. It was also. Kara's getting serious about putting gates up in, in, uh, in Washington over there. No, that's, that's all we gonna... need is people hanging gates, getting everybody down to the river, trashing the place. It's going to be right. somewhere secret. Don't worry. Um, it was super <laughs> rad. <Social> media policy. <laughs> <laughs> it was super rad seeing, uh, you know, legends like Aaron Fruzan 
out racing. He came out this year. Henry Munter. Um, it was just jeez. It was. Uh, I don't I know. All the woodwork for that one. Yeah, you know, and it was. Uh, it was just as rad as can be, and I, I really think you know it's such a it's such an annoying term to say, but I just feel like green racing and and racing in general is just good for the sport. I think it increases the stoke. Everybody's happy. There's no losers. You know, I could get into like individual performances and how people had breakout years and the whole nine yards, but I don't know. I mean, Kenny illuminated that pretty well, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, Cong- anyway, yeah, congrats, Grace. Way to uh, way to pull it off another year, man. That's so, my right, race. Green never knows yeah. race. Next. All right, I'm going to rave about living in a town full of very, very, very good paddlers because it is eye-opening in, a, in the best possible way, for sure. Yeah. So we did the trust last week, and it was, you know, with Fuseli and Rob Zombie was there, and uh, Isaac Levinson was there. It was your typical, you know, white salmon paddling crew. And just to be immersed into that crowd of paddlers, um, you, you know, you, you realize, how, you know, how much you don't know and how much you can still learn and whole different ways of looking at the river. It was awesome. It was really great. Dude, that energy is so cool when you get on a, yeah. Yeah. So. Nice. I like right? it. Um, shut, us, know, shut us down, Lewis. I'm going to rave about you, listener, giving money to Outdoor Alliance. It's the end of the year. We're trying to raise money. I know a ton of you guys have helped us out and really appreciate it. Um, Got to make sure we have enough money to keep John Grace and Hooters wings. Amen. So if you're, if you're thinking about making some year and donations, <laughs> please keep Outdoor Alliance and uh, also American Whitewater. Uh in the front of your mind. Thank you. Like hashtag lap dance for Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> you just put that right in the bottom of the check. Oh, that's, that's going to spread, you know, as, as someone who's not into social media, that's wildfire lap dance for Lewis. Right. Yeah. Whew. All right. Well, I mean, you were DC. That's how business gets done, right? Oh yeah. Dude. <laughs> a bunch oh, yeah. of white dudes at, at, uh, at a strip joint somewhere <laughs> off of K street. Uh, no, I was impressed. It was impressed with my DC trip. You know, I'm gonna. I could rate. I got. Anyway, let's shut them down there. That's uh, we're way over the time limit here. Um, all the show notes will be at hammerfactor.com. Thank you, John. Thank you, Lewis. Uh, support American Whitewater. Grace. Support Outdoor Alliance, and we will see you next week.